Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ness, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. All right, now I'm going to talk briefly about the sponsors that make this podcast possible. And keep in mind that all the money from these sponsors goes towards hiring outdoor journalism interns. This year, we've hired three interns and paid them $15 per hour. And over the course of this podcast, we've hired seven different interns, not only helping us report on Oregon's outdoors, but also teaching young college students journalistic skills that they can carry forward. Plus, it's a pretty fun internship anyway. They get to travel outdoors, report about the environment. It's a good gig, and these sponsors make it possible. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that before we get rolling. So this part you'll recognize. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast, which reminds you that winter safety is paramount, especially during the king tides and heavy rains that characterize this season. King tides result from the gravitational pull of the moon and sun and can cause exceptionally high tides that flood coastal areas at specific moments. Stay informed, heed warnings, and be prepared for rapidly changing conditions to ensure winter safety on the Oregon coast. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department invites Oregonians to explore parks this fall and winter to experience the beauty of those seasons. If you're camping, remember to get firewood from sources local to your destination to avoid bringing invasive insects, such as the devastating emerald ash borer, into parks. This will help preserve the health of Oregon's forests for seasons to come. Learn more about protecting Oregon's ash trees at stateparks.oregon.gov. All right, in today's episode, we're talking about a Northeast Oregon ghost town and museum and the lessons it offers about the state's complicated racial past. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, in this episode, we're going back in time to talk about a very special ghost town known as Maxville. Now, Oregon is full of ghost towns that were once logging or mining communities that went bust. But this one is special because Maxville was once home to a population of African-American loggers who worked in the state at a time when it was illegal for them to live here because of Oregon's racist laws. One of the descendants of those loggers is a woman named Gwen Trice, who has made it her mission to turn the ghost town into a museum and celebrate the legacy of those loggers. Statesman Journal intern Olivia Stevens traveled to Joseph in Northeast Oregon a couple of months ago to tour the Maxville Heritage and Interpretive Center, as well as the separate site of Maxville. Hey, Olivia, how's it going? Hi, Zach. I'm glad to be here. Um, as you already know, the story of Maxville and Trice's interest in it has a lot of moving parts. 
I'm really excited to share my experience checking out the museum and the town. And I also want to let Trice explain updates to her work 100 years after Maxville was founded. All right, well, let's get into it. I'm sure I'm not the only one who had never heard of Maxville before you started on this reporting project, but it's interesting to think of Oregon being home to black loggers during a time when the state was specifically looking to keep black people out. So how did you learn about Maxville in the first place? Yeah, so I came across the story of Maxville in my research into places to visit in northeastern Oregon, and I ended up finding a documentary about Trice and her efforts to bring Maxville back to life called The Logger's Daughter. It was a really great educational jumping off point, and from there, I became really fascinated with Oregon's racial past and was looking to find out why Trice thought raising awareness of the segregated logging town was important today. I was able to meet with Trice at her museum in downtown Joseph called the Maxville Heritage and Interpretive Center. It's a small one-story building with artifacts Trice has been collecting since she started the Maxville project in 2007. These include preserved railroad, railroad tracks used to ship wood, photos of residents, and even a baseball uniform. It must have been interesting looking through all those pieces, all those artifacts. Give me a little background on Maxwell. What do we know about the town and the people that live there? Yeah, so there's a lot that we do and don't know about Maxville. Um, the Bowman Hicks Lumber Company that built up the logging town in 1924 took a lot of the structures and remnants of life there with them when they left the area nine years later. But from talking to people who lived there and their descendants, Trice was able to gather that the small parcel of land was once home to about 400 people. Among these people were her father and grandfather, though she never got to talk to them about Maxville. So your dad never told you about mystery really mm -hmm. do you know why that was well he wasn't married to my mom at the time uh. he didn't marry her till after world war ii and he'd been long gone from the logging world mm -hmm. and i didn't really know until one day i saw um just a bad scar on his back right here okay and i was i'd locked myself in my parents bedroom because i was a voracious reader mm -hmm. and just to get away from my brothers and sisters and not be disturbed and he came in and I was laying across the bed and he was going to some meeting and took his shirt off and was changing. And I saw it. I'm like, oh, what happened? He goes, oh, it was a logging accident. Dad had to wire my arm back together. And I was like 12. And I just was thinking they use like a telephone or not telephone, but I was thinking like using a hanger and wiring <laughs> it back together again. You know, it was just like, and I never asked him anymore. And he never elaborated at that point. And of course, when you're a kid, you're kind of like, wow, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Had I known, I don't know if it would have taken me to here, but I think it would have. It would have eventually, it would have ended me here earlier. Part of why that history was so important to Trice was because of her experience growing up in the town of Legrand, only 60 miles away from the place that brought her family to Oregon in the first place. She said being black in a white-dominated area meant near-constant exclusion. When I found out my dad was a logger, and why didn't we know? I have, mm. you know, uh, older siblings that work with him along up and down this road. My oldest brother said, you know, who's in his mid-70s, said, I used to travel along that road with dad all the time cleaning coal furnaces. He never once said, mm. oh, I used to live there with, you know, this is how we came to Oregon. He never said anything. And for me, it was galvanizing. 
because all we ever did was janitorial services. Our teachers would tell us in school, don't ever strive to be more than a nurse or janitorial services. And they were t- they were instructed to say that to minorities. Trace wants to make the stories of Maxville common knowledge. And to do this, she introduced the Maxville Project in 2007, which includes everything from bringing the town back to life to creating course curricula for local schools. But first, she had to begin piecing together details of what the town looked like and who lived there. Trice found out Maxville loggers, like her own father and grandfather, traveled to eastern Oregon from the south and midwest in search of work. Up to 60 of these residents were black, despite Oregon's constitution prohibiting black people from living or working in the state. There were also indigenous, Japanese, and Greek loggers, Trice told me. Housing, schools, and the town baseball team were all segregated, but it's clear that there was still still a lot of intermingling in the tight-knit community. One of my favorite artifacts that I saw in the Maxville Heritage and Interpretive Center was a photo of white and black women and children sitting together and smiling for the camera. Trice said displaying these type of memories is super meaningful to many visitors, including fellow descendants of past Maxville residents. People weep in this space. They laugh. They touch base. We've had two different groups, two different groups that came in to look at my dad's ukulele, yep. and they both went out to the world because they're very rare and found them and bought them for a family member. But we pulled it out, set it up, and I'm like, play it. Exactly. It's an instrument that was meant to be played. And so I've got, you know, yep. got to find that video yep. of people playing it and going, yep. it's just, it's, it's very healing work as yeah. well. So I'm sure these experiences are a big part of what makes the many years Trice has dedicated to Maxville Project worth it. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll talk about how Trice's efforts gained a lot of traction on Maxville's centennial. So stay with us. I'm Andy Geisler. I'm a forester at the American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Like you, I love the outdoors. On many days, the forest is my office. I work on the ground with public lands agencies on good forest management projects. Forest management helps achieve important conservation goals while providing sustainable timber. Science-based forestry helps improve wildlife habitat, outdoor recreation, clean air and water. And it's essential to providing renewable, climate-friendly wood products. Learn more about us at amforest.org. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. The Tillamook Coast welcomes you for local coastal adventures. And while we invite you to explore the natural beauty of Oregon's coast during the winter season, we also advise you to be aware of winter weather and plan for it. You may picture yourself hiking through lush forests, beachcombing along rocky shores, or discovering tide pools teeming with life. Yes, the Tillamook Coast offers a unique playground for outdoor enthusiasts and nature lovers alike. But nature's power is undeniable, especially during king tides and heavy rains. Stay safe by checking tide schedules and monitoring coastal flood warnings. Always keep an eye on weather forecasts and road conditions. Remember to pack essentials like water, flashlights, and warm clothing. 
If you plan to hike, avoid areas prone to landslides during or after heavy rainfall. Explore our region's winter wonders, but do so with safety in mind and a deep respect for the forces of nature. To learn more about winter weather on the Tillamook Coast, visit TillamookCoast.com and plan your unforgettable winter journey. All right, welcome back. So it's clear that the Maxville Museum in Joseph has exposed a lot of people to the history of this special ghost town. But what about the town itself? Obviously, you were able to go out there, but is it open to the public? Like, what do you see when you head out to Maxville? Well, we already talked about the museum and interpretive center where you can see the artifacts and the art influenced by Maxville. And that's located in downtown Joseph. But my favorite part of my time with Trice was actually visiting the site itself. It's a 40-minute drive from the museum and has had a lot of changes being made to it lately. For a long time, the land has been privately owned and largely used for grazing. But just recently, Trice actually raised the funds to buy the remote site of Maxville itself. Land ownership actually allowed her to begin rebuilding the town's only remaining structure, the old lodge where the Bowman Hicks Lumber Company ran their business from 1924 to 1933. And even though Trice has visited countless times, it was easy to see how excited she was to see her vision coming to life. It feels like a dream because we'd been working on the site for so long. We'd had access to it to bring students. And I just never thought to myself that we could own it until it became a real thought. And then it was like, how long is it going to take? And how are we going to raise this money? And we were just fortunate. Um, and we got a track record with our work um, to get that support from grantors in the community. And, you know, lots of things were happening during the pandemic to help marginalized organizations. And there was a lot more monies out there during that time. And it's also garnered a lot of support from um, our private grantors around the state to support organizations like Maxville that is really coming out and they're doing inclusive bodies of work that aren't, you know, they're just not being seen. There's one other organization called the Black Pioneers. They're out of Salem. You've probably heard of them. Mm -hmm. That do work, but I, they, they've been working for longer. I used to be on their board, but they've never had a physical space. And they've been doing it in other people's spaces. And we, yeah, we have a museum that we've leased, but now we have 240 acres. Ultimately, one of Trice's biggest goals is to make the land more accessible to the public, though it could take a really long time to make that happen, as the lodge isn't expected to open for two years. Right now, you have to reach out to Trice directly to schedule a time to visit the land with her. But eventually, she'd like to buy a fleet of vans that could take groups out to the remote parcel for tours. I'll let her expand on what that could look like. So we can set it up as retreat space mm. and learning for classroom, okay. if we have one here. Um, it could be for our trauma and healing program, for maybe a yoga retreat if the weather's inclement, or we can do it outside. But it will be interpreted. Mm -hmm. uh, to help tell the story of the site. I, and I think everything around the building will be that. It will be like stargazing at the site and pieces of that and then interpreting the flora and fauna. And we're 
trying to decide in how many ways will we do that interpretation. Mm. Not just here, but how can we make it available at the museum or on our website? Yeah. Um, for those that are, love our work, but they live in a different country or across the country and can't be here. So it, those are definitely components that we're looking at. But the it's really going to be serving as sort of an administrative space for the outdoor schoolwork and the other bodies of work that we do as well as an opportunity to do facilitated retreats for different components of what we work toward and you know and you know a a place people can tour through but then again they use the outdoor bathrooms they use the outdoor facilities and we're looking at you know we have a group here need to feed them do we invest in a food cart that we have stored up here or at this point, we can just hire um, caterers or whatever because we have a very short window that's not fire season. And I don't want to do anything with fire at this point just because it's going to be hard enough as it is to ensure the building once we get it built up. And we cut down 12 trees that were around that building that needed mm. to go. We left stumps like this, but we're like, Let's make them into chairs, <laughs> you know, or put big rocks on them and make them into tables or just, you know, little picnic spaces. Uh- well, this has been a really fascinating report, so thank you, Olivia. Those who are interested in learning more about Maxville can go to the website maxvilleheritage.org. Maxville and Heritage is all one word. Or feel free to visit the museum in northeastern Oregon and maybe even get to talk to Trice herself about it. All right, well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you liked what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforest.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.